Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast with Rob and Dave, the only show geared specifically to help educate you about your back pain. We talk to the experts to bust the myths, break down the science, and give you all the top tips for living pain-free. So if you're driving to work, tidy in the house, or even laid up at home in pain, we have something for everyone. Welcome back to the Back Pain Podcast. So today we're going to touch on quite possibly the most common question that we get asked as therapists, and that is, what is the difference between, or who's the best, or who should I see between a chiropractor, a physiotherapist, and an osteopath? Now, this is a hugely tricky question to answer, and it's something that we will have all had our own answers to and answered it in numerous different ways to to lots of different patients. But we are joined today by Mike James, also known as the endurance physio, who we've had on before talking about our endurance athletes and back pain. And we think that his answer is the best answer that we've ever heard. So we thought rather than us trying to copy him, we thought we'd just get him to, uh, to, <laughs> to, to give us his answer. So, Mike, welcome back to the Back Pain Podcast. Thank you, gents. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, also Mike. joined by Dave. Hi, guys. So, Mike, I've got back pain. Should I see a physiotherapist, an osteopath? or a chiropractor, or anyone else for that matter, a sports therapist, a sports rehabilitator, etc. Yeah, great question. And and I think, um, you know, uh, humble that you think it's the greatest answer you've heard, but it's taken years of refining and, and getting wrong to, to, to finally get it where it is. It certainly wasn't a off-the-cuff comment. But, um, yeah, you, you know, I first – I've chatted this offline for a long time, but I guess I posted that online one a couple of years back now with a revision last year – just based on, on, sadly, probably 30, 40% of the time offering my opinion to patients who asked me, but 70% of the time listening to therapists arguing amongst each other about the ins and outs of it. So um, so it's nice to be able to, to push this one out. So my answer to that is is long, but hopefully simple. I think, like you rightly said, then although traditionally the question becomes, osteochirophysio, then we do need to throw in all the other MSK professions, the podiatrists, the um, sports therapists, soft tissue therapists, sports massage therapists, sports rehabilitators, because ultimately they all offer something to the patient in the MSK realm. And they all hold as an equally valuable place if you find the right one. Um, And because those waters are, the waters are murky and it's confusing, then for me, the simple answer is it, it depends. There isn't a single best profession. What I've broken it down to in my answer is that ultimately there's good therapists and bad therapists. And whichever profession you go into, then you'll find good therapists and bad therapists. And what you start to notice then is that there's trends. So the good therapists, regardless of background, will offer a similar approach and work in a similar way. Yes, there'll be little quirks and little things that may be unique to, to individuals, but the bad ones will also do the same things. So ultimately it comes down to that when you're searching for a therapist, you should be searching for the traits of the good therapist, which we'll explain, and then trying to steer clear of the traits of the bad therapist. So um, if we break it down into the sort of the good guys, I guess we call them, um, people have taken many journeys. They've taken many paths to get to the same place, but when they do arrive at that place, then it's probably hard to identify the specific treatments that they may provide for you. But what it really is, is about how they interact and communicate with you. They'll try to 
grow and develop a really close working relationship with you. They'll try to develop a rapport with you, but it won't be forced. It won't be unnatural. It's something that most of these guys organically develop over time. And this can be a sort of almost a chameleon approach. They'll adapt for the individual in front. It's not that they're trying to mold people to their way of thinking, which may well be something that, that what we class and obviously on the podcast, people can't see, but we should be doing inverted commas every time we say good and bad. Mm-hmm. Through that sort of, through the rehab process, and when we're talking rehab process, we could be talking adjunct therapies or the exercise management, education management of it. But basically, the patient, you will be the center at the center of that process. They'll collaborate with you, but you'll be that driving force. It'll be you determining the pathway and us facilitating, not fixing you to get to where you want to go. Now, they may well. I was going to say we then, but that sounds quite presumptuous of us, doesn't it? But um, but what they'll do then is they may well offer you some sort of adjunct treatment, potentially some hands-on or some other modalities, which sometimes appear controversial. But what will happen is the narratives, the explanations, the understanding that is provided of what those treatments do and don't do will be supported in the current sort of thinking. I guess ultimately they'll use this buzzword of being a biopsychosocial approach to care as their their theme so of course they'll address the biological issues that may be going on with your body with your injury but they'll also include addressing the psychological and the social factors that may influence how you react to and from those injuries and I guess they'll see you as often as they need to no more no less I guess that's that's the best way to pitch that what they won't do is prolong the care longer than is absolutely necessary because ultimately that process of recovery will be try to facilitate as active a process as possible. What they won't be doing is feeding you bad narratives, feeding you things that make you rely on them, make you have to buy things from them or them do things to you. It'll just be a facilitation process. Empowerment is the big word that I try to throw. When if you're looking for a good therapist, it's someone who's trying to engage with you and empower you to self-manage your condition and let you go, basically, let you go free and manage yourself at the earliest possible, safest time. In simple terms, then, if you just flip that on its head, everything that we've said the wrong way around is the traits of the bad therapist. Now, we don't, you know, often we're hoping you do this proactively so you can head people off and and not get stuck in that trap. I guess a lot of people retrospectively may listen to this and identify therapists they've potentially not had the greatest of success with in the past. But um, what those bad therapists will do or the bad traits of those therapists is instead of that facilitation role, it'll be a fixation role. Everything will be passive, not access, uh, not um, active, sorry. They'll want to do the things to make you better. They'll spin those old, outdated narratives that it's about them doing something for you. All those buzzwords of release this, put this back in, um, all those sort of bad biological narratives that we've tried to dispel for so long now they may at some point in that process do some of those good things we've talked about the exercise the education the self-management the things that the good therapist will do but what will probably happen is it'll just be a little bit too little and a little bit too late they normally come too far down the line and don't address it to the point that we'd want to and by the time they're offering those good things often there's a reliance a dependence even a sense of fragility that's been imparted upon the patient and it's it's almost too little too late um you'll hear patients who've been seen by these therapists 
using words like dependency or, you know, having to see my therapist, having to get things done to me. Um, I often think sometimes, and again, we tar everyone with the same brush here, but there are some warning signs. So even within that first assessment, if it seems like a standard practice of care from them is to book you in for three sessions a week for 12 weeks to get you to sign up to direct debit payments, to maybe scan you or image you when it may or may not be appropriate during that first session. If it all feels like it's a cut and paste, copy and paste, cookie cutter approach, then those would be the alarm bells. Now, all of those three things may have a place with a good therapist, but it wouldn't be the standard approach and things would be explained and you'd have an option to, to opt in and out of those things as you go along. And I guess that's really where we're at. I think um, it's about how you find those people. So I'm a big fan that, you know, ask your friends, ask your colleagues, ask the communities you're in. Social media has made finding information a lot easier. So, and again, if you're within local healthcare circles, see who recommends who, because you know, word of mouth can be a really good recommendation for these things. And even if someone swears blind that someone did a great job from that for them, which they may have, ask them what they did for them, because that may give you those narratives that you're trying to avoid or actually find. So the initial training or the background or the, the skill set that was labeled that we were all given as a therapist is, is less important than a lot of people think. If the analogy I always use is that if you walked into a clinic and the only there was 10 therapists in this clinic, all from different backgrounds, but they were all what we would class as good therapists. So effectively, as you walk in, everybody's wearing the same plain T-shirt and the only badge they've got on is their name badge. It would it should be very difficult for a patient to work out what those therapists backgrounds are because they will have the same traits, personality and approach. Likewise, if everybody was was a bad therapist, then you probably would be pretty good at pinning the tail on the donkey of working out what someone's background is because of the way they they offer stuff. So um doesn't matter than the therapist as in their background. It's the person and the way they work more than osteo versus chiro versus physio versus whatever other brand of MSK therapist you may encounter. That's perfect. I mean, that's exactly what we're after. That is the same message which we try and put across, you know, the whether it's on our Facebook group, whether it's you know, from other episodes. And when we answer the question, it, as you said perfectly, it shouldn't matter. You know, it's whether you, when you see the good therapist, whether whatever flavor of certificate on their wall, they should encourage the same things from your recovery. And that's that active recovery. That's that not reliance on kind of passive treatments where they're doing stuff to you. It's active recovery, lots of exercise, lots of encouragement, lots of, you know, positive reinforcement as opposed to kind of the fear mongering and, and scaremongering type phrases, which, you know, we're even taught at university as kind of a 20, probably not even that long ago, years ago. Um, so everyone's growing, everyone's moving together, all on the same path. So especially for, for back pain, for sciatica, for all the other things that we've spoken about on this podcast, whether that's, you know, we spoke about slip discs and disc bulges and disc herniations and all the other injuries, it shouldn't matter. So hopefully that's enough for people to do some research for themselves, look up in their local communities and, and get some recommendations. And, and as Mike said, speak to people and find out what that therapist had, had had done for that person. You know, what type of treatment did they do? What type of treatment did they offer? So look at the recommendations, read the reviews on Google and read the reviews on Facebook and see what, see what's said about the, that particular therapist or that particular clinic. Um, Cause also it's, it's not always about the clinic. It might be about therapists. You might have very good therapists at one, yeah, 
you know, one, one clinic and, and possibly not so good. So, you know, have a, have, have a look around and really do your own, do your own research. And if you're not happy, find someone else. And if you're not happy, you know, raise those questions with your, with your particular therapist and, and hopefully, and if they're good, they will have an answer for you about why they're doing something and, and, or why they're doing that particular treatment or why they're not doing something else. And that should be a, a, a good, easy to understand answer really. Yeah. And I think as well, as, as we've changed that, that approach to treatment, then the thing that a lot of people need to move away from is this historical association of the number of years you've been qualified is the better you are as a, as a therapist. You know, we see some therapists right now that within one to two years of graduating are far better than people who've been qualified 10 to 15 years because of the evolution of them and the way they work and the, the industry itself. So, um, Age and experience can sometimes offer you a good therapist over a bad therapist, but it also can work the other way. So don't don't pigeonhole people based on age or experience because because it, it doesn't matter that as well. No, that that's really true. And for the first time, actually, it's funny you said that we had someone this week who rang up and um, asked to see the newest graduate and not Nick because they thought they would have the freshest out of university would so would know the most would know the most information. I've never heard that before. So, and that was the first time it was this week. So someone that, uh, so you brought that up. So that's quite an interesting, interesting point, really. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for that, Mike. That's kind of exactly what we were, we, we were after. I'm really glad you're on the same page as us. I hope that's cleared up a lot of information for people who are wondering about their particular therapist or wondering who they should see if they're currently struggling with any injuries. So if you do have any questions, you can always reach out to us and we're happy to facilitate or point you in the direction of someone who might be able to help you. Mike, as always, where can people find out more about you? Two places. It's the Endurance Physio, if you're looking for me clinically, or Sports Injury Fix, if you're looking for a therapist anywhere that can fit the criteria that we've just talked about. Fantastic. As always, we've been The Back Pain Podcast. You can find us on all the social medias. If you search at The Back Pain Pod or at The Back Pain Podcast on Facebook, we are there for, we're there if you need anything. Have a look at our Facebook group, the Sciatica and Back Pain Support Group. There's nearly 4,000 people in there now, so we've got quite a lot of people. It's a big community of people who are all uh, all struggling, all on the same journey, all offering lots of advice and tips and exercises. So have a look at that if you are struggling, if you're in need. That's it from me. That's it from you guys. Thanks for joining us, and we will catch you on the next episode.